This is episode 63 of the Kindred Mom podcast. I'm your host, Emily Sue Allen. Hey there, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Kindred Mom podcast. Today, we are continuing the series that we've been going through over on kindredmom.com titled, It Takes a Village. Today, we are featuring Jenny Van Winkle and Lynn Patty as the guests for the first half of the show as we talk about what it looks like to try to step out of survival mode by way of leaning on the village around us and talk about how difficult it can be to ask for help and that kind of thing. In the second half of the show, Kristen Vanderlip, uh, a writer and mama, is sharing some of her experience as a military wife and a mama who's experienced grief through the loss of a child. Uh, She is wonderful, and I hope you enjoy both segments of the show. Today, I realized as I was editing this podcast and bringing it all together to share it with you that the first half of the show, I had my baby with me and there are all these funny little baby sounds. He was nursing. He was just kind of at a spot where I couldn't leave him outside of the room while I was recording. So I just wanted to give you a heads up about that. Um, I try to minimize those sounds as much as possible, but this is real life and that's just where I've been this summer is nursing a newborn. So I hope you enjoy this show and thank you so much for listening today. I hope you'll connect with our Kindred Mom community on Instagram, on Facebook, or straight through our website. Welcome back to the Kindred Mom Podcast. I am excited to dive into a new topic with a couple of awesome gals from our Kindred Mom team. And today we have Lynn Patty and Jenny Van Winkle with us to talk about uh, stepping out of survival mode and just really what it looks like when you might be in a season of need or uh, a season that is more difficult than uh, the season before it. And ladies, I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Yes, good to be here. It's great to be back, Emily. Well, as we step into this, um, I will just say that it's kind of a vulnerable topic because I think uh, we all want to put our best foot forward and be able to just say, I am totally rocking this job as mom. And we probably are, whether or not we feel like we are or not. Um, but when we start talking about the things that are harder in motherhood, especially seasons that just require a lot of special care, special attention, or support that is beyond what we might be typically used to, I just know it brings up some stuff that's kind of tricky. I know that I have been experiencing this this last year with all the health challenges that I've had and having a new baby and having such a large family. I've definitely had to reach out for help more than is comfortable for me. And so I'd love to talk about support um, and just get your guys' thoughts on what support looks like, both when you offer it to others, when you receive it for yourself or ask for it for yourself. What do you think is reasonable to expect when you are putting a need out there? And just in general, what does that bring to mind? Yeah, for me, I feel like there is that two-pronged kind of idea because it's half of it is if I need to receive, and then the other part is, and if I need to give, right? Right. So I feel like especially in our conversation, like as we talk about maybe one of those branches, you can kind of flip it on the other end to get the other one. In other words, if I'm asking for this particular 
kind of support, then that is also the kind of support that I could give to another mom. And I think it's really important to note that because um, as I receive love and support and care from my friends and family and community, it may actually not be the exact same thing that my friends need. I don't even recognize when I'm in survival mode until I am starting to come out of survival mode. And oh, I don't even... Yeah. I don't even know, like, because I can't even process it. I'm just about, like, trying to keep the ship from sinking, you know? And it's just, like, I can't even process that I need help. I just have to do this. And my boys were, hmm, a couple of, I don't know, they were almost two or something like that. And, or something. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. so foggy when you have twins. Oh, fog. yeah. Fog, fog, fog. And <laughs> um, so... Anyway, they were little and I woke up one morning and half of my face was paralyzed and I couldn't figure out what was happening to me. And it's like the morning wore on, it got worse and worse and we're Mm. freaking out thinking it's a stroke, it's a stroke. And, you know, we live in a place where we don't have family nearby and the friends that we have are not close neighbor type friends, you know, and it's just like, and, and I just found myself going, I need help because I need to go to the emergency room because I might be having a stroke. And this is like, I need to go take care of myself. And my husband was there, thankfully, but you know, I was like, I actually kind of need you too, because I'm freaking out about myself. And so we had made friends with uh, a gal who had kids around my kids age, um, a little bit, a little older and a little bit younger. And I was just telling my husband, like, call her. So he calls and it, we were in that season of, we can't really trust people or we don't want to trust people with our kids and, you know, like don't want to impose on people and that kind of thing. Like just don't want to overstep and assume that somebody wants to care for your kids, you know, and it, they're, your responsibility. So you should take care of that. And, um, so she was like, of course I'll come. And she came right away and they hauled me off in the ambulance and we're heading to the hospital. And my husband is just there kind of going, uh, so here are the things that you need to think about with the kids and I have to go. And it's just like being really apologetic about the whole thing, but she's like, go, I've got it. It's fine. And Mm. for me, it was just like, yeah, I got thrust into this situation where I needed to trust the people that were in my life were actually in my life for not just their own gain, but because they they like me and they like my family right, and right. they're invested and that I can count on them when I need them and that I can offer that that support for them as well. And the other part of support for me is communication. And that is the hardest part of it, I think, for me, trust and communication. Yeah. And being Mm. able to say that you actually need help when you feel like you have to be the last bastion. And if your walls fall apart, then the whole, the whole thing is, you know, going down the toilet, but it's just, it's not like that. And there are people in your community that want to be, you know, mm-hmm, a part mm-hmm. of your life. And so being able to voice those things, I think is huge. I have a question for you, Jenny, after that whole thing happened, where you had to go to the, go in the ambulance, did you 
feel like you're, or how did you feel about the friendship with the friend who came? I was so grateful. I was just like, okay, you're going to be a really like a lifelong friend to me Yeah, because See, it was yeah. a huge gift that she gave me. Totally. I feel like that type of situation is when I figure out who I would really call mm-hmm. and who I would really want to, yeah. to share the vulnerability of our whole family or whatever. I feel like those types of situations and those friends that have done that for me or something similar, I never had to go in an ambulance, but yeah, but they're like the, the ones that have stayed around and yeah. it really is amazing. And that kind of like leads into a, a conversation about vulnerability as moms. I just think so many times I don't ask for support because of what you were just talking about, Jenny, where you feel like you just have to, I don't know, keep up some kind of facade. And maybe I don't even, I'm not even aware that I'm doing it until I get pressed. And then I'm like, oh yeah, you know, actually I'm really not feeling well right now. Totally crappy. And I do need you in here and I need you to be my friend. And I'm, and I'm, here I am laid open, you know? Yeah. So yeah. How about you, Emily? How is, how is this kind of like friendship and vulnerability? What is this looking like for you? Well, I probably would have answered differently a year ago (laughs) because I, at that time, I mean, I I had years of my life where I really could kind of just handle things that were in my field, in my responsibility tank, you know, things that were on my plate. I was able to navigate those relatively easily. And um, I think when I did need to ask a favor or something, it was in not a pressurized situation. So I felt like I could ask two or three or four different friends if I needed to, and just like, no pressure. If you can help, great. If you can't, no worries. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I forget, I just want to ask Jenny, can you just tell our listeners that you did not have a stroke? <laughs> like just since oh, yeah. that was kind was of a like, big deal. Totally <laughs> helpful. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's just a casual thing. I thought I might have a stroke. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> my face was paralyzed. This is a funny story, right? Um, no. This is the problem when we're all friends and we know. <laughs> yes. yeah. The rest of the people don't know. Yeah. I didn't have a stroke. I had what's called Bell's palsy, which is oh, a yeah. really weird thing where part of your face is paralyzed for a while. Mine lasted for about three weeks. Some people's last months or years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really difficult to know what what causes it, but it was not a stroke. And my face and my face works most of the way now, so it's great. Great. Well, I love your face, Jenny. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it mostly works. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so like a year ago, I vulnerability was a different thing. Vulnerability was one of those things that I engaged in of my own free will because I could see the beauty in sharing life and sharing stories with others. And, um, but it wasn't really from a place of need. And many people Uh who have listened to the podcast, my friends and family members know that this last year has been a doozy (laughs) upside down in lots of ways. And it has been a much more challenging place to be because there have been times that I've needed support and it's not really an option. (laughs) You know, it's like this need must be filled and I don't know how to get from where I am to asking for help in the way that I need. Vulnerability is necessary. 
vulnerability is mm-hmm. uncomfortable. So one of the things I wanted to mention as we talk about this is um, my friend Marissa Henley wrote a book that is called Loving Your Friend Through Cancer, which is a very insightful and sort of heavy book to read if you have a friend who's going through cancer. Um, I think her advice is really applicable to any situation, to be honest. And she had shared something with me, and it's also in her book on page 105, about how to offer help in a way that allows other people to accept it easily. And this idea has really changed the way that I seek to offer support to others because I think whenever anybody has something going on, you know, it's it's easy to just say, well, just let me know if there's anything I can do. And when you're yeah. the person in need, it's trying to think about, first of all, what it is you actually need, <laughs> how to ask for the help, how to know that you feel okay asking for help when you don't want to impose on someone else's life is that that's just a lot to ask someone who may not be able to articulate all those things. And I had a sweet friend uh, at the height of my health problems through this pregnancy who she sent me an email just saying, if you need help with any of the following things, and she listed them exactly like I can clean your house, I can watch your kids, I can, you know, there's like five or six things on this list that anytime you need help with, please call me. I was like, oh, like she became my first call for several things because I knew that it was okay to ask her. I mean, she kind of made herself available in those ways. And so Marissa's idea here is the best way to do this is to make your offers of help as specific as possible while still giving options. For example, I would like to bring you dinner next week. Would Monday or Thursday work? Um, When you put it like that, then she can still say, no, we don't need dinner this week. Thanks so much for offering. But if she wants to say yes to that, she could say, you know, Monday would be a great day. And you've just really kind of released the pressure valve of feeling like, you know, I'm asking so much if I'm saying yes, you know. Well, for the first, the first part of what you were saying, I think that we can, our friendships will only go so far as so long as they're transactional. I think Mm -hmm. that the, the unconditional love arena, when that starts to happen and you, you get rid of the transaction uh, mentality, I think that's when friendships (laughs) like blow up in the best way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because of all the reasons that we can imagine, but that's just, that's where it's just real. It's so real. And then in terms of this, like quantifiable, uh, asking for help, like this is what I can do. And this is what I'm going to, you know, in the, in the sweetest, most tender way for someone who, I think it's just brilliant. I think for, for, I am a person who has so much trouble asking for help and Mm -hmm. I don't even know what to ask for. Um, half the time I'm just a mess about it and I know last fall when we were selling our house moving I had a new baby um all that stuff I had a friend at church who first listened she listened to what I was going Mm -hmm. through and she did not offer advice or anything she just listened to the whole thing and then said okay so I'm bringing you dinner tomorrow. It will be at, we were staying at an Airbnb uh, because the house had to be like, uh, what do you call that? Staged and shown and all that stuff. She's like, I will be at your Airbnb with dinner at 5 p.m. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. And I was like, 
okay, thank you so much. And I was like totally bawling and crying. (laughs) Now, when she dropped off the dinner on Monday, she handed me a list of the four other ladies who were going to bring me dinners on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And I might actually cry right now because she listened to the situation. She understood that for me to cook dinner in this new, weird, strange place um, would, would probably send me over the edge. And it was literally Mm. almost doing that. And so, you know, the whole thing about being specific and quantifiable, when she said, I will be there at five, I was like, okay. (laughs) You know, like I can't really argue with that. Um, (laughs) so I think that's just incredibly, um, profound. Well, and she like went the extra mile too and coordinated with these other women to yes, and, to like and really meet that need. Two of the women I knew it, but the other two I didn't. And so like, that was even amazing that she understood, like in that context, it was a church community. She understood who were the people that she could go through, go to and sort of enlist them to help. And man, that has taught me so much too. And I, you know, I haven't had, it's not that it's transactional, but you know, when I have a chance next to help someone, I'm like, you know, maybe I can kind of get a little army of, of moms behind me and we can, you know, do something more impactful. It was just, it blew my mind. That's a cool story. I feel like the whole transactional part of relationships with other women, especially, it can be so toxic. I have found myself in the past at various stages really comparing myself and how I am parenting my kids or like how things are going for me. And I compare that to how I perceive other mothers are handling their motherhood role. And The problem about comparison is that we never know really what it's like for them because we're not in their shoes. And so we're just comparing what we perceive to be Mm -hmm. reality. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, I'm, I spend my time going, well, what is she doing better than me? And then I subsequently feel bad about all the things that I hypothetically am not doing (laughs) as well as her, but I haven't even asked her, you know, and So I'm just like starting to feel worse about something that is completely self-fabricated. And then, and then I also will turn around and say, well, what am I doing that's better than her? And that's also not helpful because it just drives a wedge in my art, my own heart between Mm -hmm. her, even if I'm not like saying anything to her, like even if she has no idea what my thoughts are, like I'm still having this Mm -hmm. idea that I'm comparing my, my life and her life. And, and that to me, in the, in a, in another sense, transactional, because it's like, it's comparison and it's not like, we should just stop doing that. Like we need totally. to stop, we need to stop comparing ourselves and thinking that we need to be, I don't know why we think that we need to be better than the other person or that we have things figured out in a better way than somebody else, because there are so many different ways to achieve a goal. There is no right way, but what works Mm -hmm. for someone else, you know, and that kind of thing. So when you were talking about transactional friendships, that's where I was going with it. But I think one of the things that I think is important to say about this is to realize that struggling is a common experience, that everybody has something that they're dealing with or working through or navigating. And it might be a big thing. It might be a small thing. It might be just for that day. It might be a whole season that they're in. Um, But 
it's really not beneficial to look at the highlight reel or kind of take the face value perceptions of someone else's experience and just assume that they don't have anything that they're struggling with. Because I know for me, knowing that other people are struggling is one of the things that has opened my heart to relationship and to both offering support and receiving support from others because every person has something that they are working through. And I just think that we all have an incredible amount of influence and power to speak into someone's life with encouragement, with a, a listening ear, um, just to hear what it is that they might be going through. And that just seeing the validity of someone's experience includes the struggles. And I have a couple more questions I want to tackle before we run out of time. And so I want to just get some quick responses to a couple of these so that we can fit them in. And one of them is I know a lot of moms deal with loneliness. I have had seasons where the loneliness that I've experienced has been absolutely crushing. And other times that loneliness feels like it's, you know, far from me because I'm surrounded with amazing people and have a great rhythm and routine to our days. So I'm seeing people, but uh, I just want to talk about how loneliness is different from solitude because both of them imply being alone in some manner, but I would love to know just what comes to your mind of the differences between loneliness and solitude. I think solitude is a choice and that loneliness is circumstantial. And I think that when you choose solitude, you're doing so out of a place of, I think that you're coming from a balanced place when you can say, I just need peaceful time for myself. And the other is more out of a desperate place. You know, it's like you, you are responding because you need interaction with other people. And I think they're both kind of a need, right? Like they're still talking about like, I need something, I need interaction or I need alone time, but one is certainly, you're in control of one and not in control of the other, you know? Yeah, I think that's a good distinction. I was actually sitting here thinking like, what does it mean, the the difference between the two? So Emily, I want to just circle back to that loneliness because you said you've been through seasons where you've experienced that. For me, I have trouble with loneliness because I feel like I just try to solve it immediately Mm -hmm. and go like find friends, call friends, whatever. Mm -hmm. What does it look like for you in the seasons that have been lonely without having friends to reach out to? Yeah. So, I mean, my deepest season of loneliness was probably the stretch where I had four children and we were pretty new in this area. Um, It was kind of the shift when I started homeschooling my oldest. And so Mm -hmm. a number of the friends that we'd had previous to that had their kids starting in school and we chose not to do that. So it was kind of a natural shift of our community. It was also a time at which we had changed churches. And I don't know, I just didn't have a lot of face-to-face friends that I could spend time with. And so in that particular season, I think that was what really prompted a very deep and intentional effort to build a community around us to basically become a professional inviter (laughs) because I think Mm -hmm. that that's how I coped through the next stretch of motherhood is just 
recognizing that other people were also feeling lonely in their own spaces. Um, I just, before that time, I, I responded to people's invitations. I did not extend invitations myself. <laughs> and mm-hmm. since that time, I just have really tried to um, include other people in everything that I do. If I happen to be going to the park, I call someone up and say, hey, would you like to come? And sometimes they can make it and sometimes they can't. But mm. The fact that I continue to put the invitation out there, I think, has caused a lot of friendships to blossom. And more recently, I feel like this last year has been really lonely for very different reasons and not at all because I don't have community around just because the particular challenges I'm going through, I don't necessarily always feel like people completely understand, even if they're trying to, you know, I do have friends who picked up my calls at moments where I just, I have a lot of tears and I have a lot of feelings and I, and I know that they're trying their best to journey with me and encourage me in the ways that they can. But at the end of the day, like my challenges are still mine. And um, so it has felt lonely at times for that reason just because it's Mm -hmm. you know they can journey alongside me but they can't necessarily take it away (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that's that's to be expected you know but I guess what I wanted to highlight about the difference between loneliness and solitude is I think solitude is an intentional choice to be in tune with what's going on inside of you and I think it's a space for me where I'm drawn into prayer and really building a connection with God. And loneliness is more like the presence of a longing or unfulfilled desires or needs that I think Mm -hmm. really need to be tended to. But what those unfulfilled desires or needs are might be different. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. the first season of loneliness for me was really about I did need physical connections with people like in my local area that I might see them face to face and share life with them in a very practical way. And loneliness for me right now is, you know, I have just practical personal needs that, you know, need to be filled. And I'm, it really comes down to my daily self-care. It's not something that other people can do for me. I have to choose myself to get enough rest go to bed at a reasonable hour, um, to just begin caring for myself in a way that is sustainable with my life. Um, because part of what I'm personally experiencing right now, which is probably more than we have time for in this episode, is I feel uh-huh. like I'm, I have 13 years of motherhood and the exhaustion from 13 years of motherhood feel like they're kind of piled on me right now. <laughs> And, um, you know, it's a little bit dramatic to say that because I have, I have slept in the last 13 years and I have had intentional effort to just build in rest and healthy food and some fitness and, you know, good things. But I, my body just feels so broken. I feel so disconnected from who I thought I was as a strong and capable and on the go mama, (laughs) which is how I felt when I had six kids. But now that I have seven, it's kind of just like the whole house of cards has crashed to the ground and I don't know how it's supposed to work anymore. (laughs) So um, Mm -hmm. rebuilding a new house, so to speak. Yeah. All I know is I'm very acquainted with survival mode right now (laughs) and it's good because I think 
I'm learning a lot about myself in this. And I, I think that um, it's a necessary season for me to uh, just kind of look out on the the coming years of my life and what my kids will need from me. And that I, I have to be able to show up in their lives with energy and with diligence and with joy and, um, mm-hmm. you know, t- in order to be available to do that, I've got to figure out the building blocks mm-hmm. of a sustainable life. I think when we're talking about in the trenches, mamas, the, the, the tearing down and rebuilding that you're talking mm-hmm. about, Emily, I feel like sometimes that happens so frequently for moms with littles and that it is really okay where it feels like everything is falling apart and you have to rebuild again, like after a move, after a baby, after a death in the family, something like that. Um, I feel like that just really is life and it's, and it's okay. It's okay to feel like that. And I also want to say that as my children, my older three get older, that some of the, in the trenches stuff, has really changed. I think we hit on this, but just that the emotional needs, the, the, um, you know, going through puberty and stuff like that, like it's all different. So I still feel like, you know, I'm very physically in the trenches with the two littles, but my older three are starting to move on to a new thing. And it actually, I really like it. I like the, the balance, the, the different way that I'm being engaged in that space. Yeah. For me, I just think like survival, the survival aspect of parenting it's cyclical like you're talking Mm -hmm. about that you know with with new transitions into new milestones for you know it's it's pretty typical that as soon as you figure something out in a stage then your kids change and then you have to relearn everything to figure out (laughs) how to how to function again in a different way and I think that that's really helpful in a way, because it causes us a, like a natural um, opportunity to to like reset, you know. Yeah, it's like a recalibration. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I thank you so much for being here for this conversation and just making space for kind of these vulnerable things. And I just want to leave with a quote from Bread and Wine, a book by by Shauna Nyquist. And it just is one that stuck out to me when I was going through it recently. And so I wanted to share with you. She said, I've long wanted to be better at accepting help, better at admitting weakness, better at trusting that people love me not for what I can do, but just because they do. It would have been lovely to learn those things on my own terms when I wanted to, the way I wanted to, but we never grow until the pain level gets high enough. Being sick for so long was a crash course, not one I would have chosen, not one I handled well, certainly. It was a painful education, but one I needed, one that forced me to embrace the risky but deeply beautiful belief that love isn't something you prove or earn, but something you receive or allow, like a balm, like a benediction, even when you're at your very worst. And that is so much of what I've been feeling this last couple of months. So I just want to invite our listeners, anyone who is feeling like they might relate with this season being a little bit more challenging, um, maybe you're in survival mode, to come and connect with us over on our Facebook group, especially because we're all there and would love to encourage you in any way that we can, as well as, um, you know, we always respond personally to emails that come in to hello at kindredmom.com. 
And uh, just really want to thank both of you for being here today and sharing your thoughts. Thanks so much. Thanks, Emily. It's always great to be here. Today, I'm really excited to be welcoming Kristen Vanderlip, a friend of mine that I've made online, and uh, we're going to be talking about the transition into new places, um, kind of stepping out of survival mode as a mom by way of connecting with others, finding support in community. And uh, Kristen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Emily. I'm glad to be a guest. Yes, and I would love for you to begin by sharing a bit about your stage of life as a mama, as well as some of your story that has made this topic um, of interest and importance to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I consider myself just an ordinary woman and mom, just like you and your listeners. Mm And I am also a writer, like you mentioned, and I just have such a heart for encouraging women who are walking through hard things, who are struggling um, from just the little mundane struggles of motherhood to the deep um, trials and seasons of suffering. Um, Just have such a heart um, to encourage those women, whether it's through writing or speaking or doing interviews like this with you. Um, And that has come out of my own places in my own life. Um, of having walked through a death of my child, um, losing my father shortly after that. And I'm also Mm -hmm. an army wife. And so that brings a whole other set of complications to life sometimes. And so um, I am an army wife. My husband and I um, have been married for about 12 years now, and we have two little boys. So I am in the stage where they're almost both in elementary school, they're ages five and eight. Um, And so kind of a new season of kids almost being out of the house in school, which has been really exciting. But um, yeah, yeah, I just love to use my experiences as an army wife, um, just walking through grief and all of that to just really encourage women. And um, I've written a journal. I have a journal coming out for kids, which I'm happy to share about later if Mm -hmm. if you're interested to hear that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, like I mentioned also, I am, I'm a writer and I'm a hope writer and that's how you and I have kind of connected through hope writers and I've learned about this podcast and I'm just super excited to chat with you. Yeah. I'm so glad that you are here. And because you very briefly mentioned that you have experienced the loss of a child, I'd love for you to share a small part of that story if you're open to it. Um, just because I know that that's been a really formative part of your motherhood journey, as well as how you have invited people to journey with you through that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So when I was about 24, just having graduated college, just um, having gotten married, you know, it's that, that season of your life where you're just about to just get started as an adult, Mm -hmm. as a wife, as a mom. And um, right at the time when my husband and I got pregnant with our first child, it was also coinciding with our very first PCS, which is just the Army's term for our first move. And so I moved during that first pregnancy. um, And that first pregnancy seemed to be going okay along the way. And when we went to um, the hospital to give birth to her, um, we just discovered that she had numerous health issues that went on undiagnosed during my pregnancy. And we ended up in a NICU four hours away from where we were living at the time. And she ended up having a fatal diagnosis of trisomy 18. Mm-hmm. And she was with us for about one month before she passed away. So that 
you know, it was a formative season on its own, right. you know, as somebody who's entering into the career field um, and becoming a wife and starting a family. But definitely during that time, um, that loss in that season just taught me a tremendous amount that I've, you know, continued to carry with me and learn mm -hmm. um, even all these years later. Yeah, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I cannot imagine um, how difficult it is to lose a child, especially when you have just gone through a whole pregnancy and welcomed your baby and think, you know, from here, we're going to my child's going to grow and we're going to have all these memories together. And um, I just really commend you for sharing that story because I know other women have experienced similar things. And if you don't mind sharing, I would love to hear about how the people around you uh, supported you during that time. What was helpful and what was maybe not helpful as we're in this conversation of what the importance of community is in the life of someone, especially with um, a sensitive situation like you've experienced. I'm just curious what you would say are the most helpful things that your community has done for you? Oh, that is such a good question. I think some of the most helpful things have been the friends and acquaintances who were able to show up however they could. And mm -hmm. A big part of this whole answer to that question, I think, is that when you want to come alongside of somebody walking through a season like that, mm -hmm. it's important to know kind of where you are in their circle. Um, right. So you might have a distant acquaintance from somebody at church or maybe a coworker or something, but you don't really have a relationship and they walk through something hard and you want to be there to support them. Um, and there are ways to do that, but it's just kind of knowing where you are, how close you are to that person. So the people closest to me, yeah, they provided me with the most support by just not being afraid to show up for me. So, yeah. you yeah. know, that, that text, Hey, I'm thinking of you today or showing up at my door with a pink rose, um, mm. you know, in memory of my daughter, just, I saw this, this pink flower for you and I thought of you and I didn't know what else to do. So I brought it. Yeah. Um, and it's just I saw them feel awkward and not know what to do, but they were just made the brave step to show up however they could, whether it was a meal, just listening to me cry, bringing me Kleenex, you know, mm -hmm. um, inviting me out to go on a walk when I didn't want to leave my house. And then it was the acquaintances who kind of knew that, that they weren't super close to me. Yeah. It, it would have been very awkward yeah. if that person was suddenly showing up at my front door and saying, what do you need? How can I do something for you? I, that would have been overwhelming to me. And I didn't really have that happen. Yeah. Um, for the most part, the people who were in my life at that time navigated their own awkwardness and fears and their own grief. Yeah. And I just saw them show up how, however they could, mm -hmm. whether it felt big or small. And it was just so, so meaningful. And I think it can look like so many different things. But the underlying message that I learned was just when somebody walks through something hard to just find a way that you can show up mm -hmm. and not to be afraid of being awkward. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and I think you made a good point. You kind of alluded to the circle, you know, where are you in someone's circle? And if you're not at the inner circle level with somebody, it doesn't mean you can't do anything. But I have myself experienced when 
I know somebody's going through something difficult. I might be outside their inner circle, but I might be a support to someone who is in their inner circle. And um, that that also can have an effect on the person who is going through the difficult time because it's it's kind of a web that we make as we reach out and try to hold things together as a community for a family in crisis or um, someone going through something really challenging. And so I love that you kind of distinguish between inner circle friends and ones who are a little bit further out from there. I'm glad it made sense. <laughs> yeah. And so I would be curious to know a little bit more about, um, you know, you had shared with me a little bit about why you're passionate about the topic, It Takes a Village. And the moment you realized you needed to lean on your village to help you, you know, as you have added children to your family. And I know you've been through a lot of different moves having the military background that you and your husband do? I think this is another great question um, because it was one I didn't really have an awareness of just how much I had needed community. By nature, I'm just very introverted. Mm -hmm. And the way I grew up as a child, I lived with my mom who was a single working mom and I saw her be very independent. And so I was just kind of raised with this independent attitude and then add on army wife mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, we can do it. We can hold down the home front when our husbands go away. Um, everything is going to break and go wrong, but we can handle it. And then compound that with just walking through the isolation that grief brought and that the geographical isolation from all the moves. Mm-hmm. It just kind of all built up within me that all of these things were really leading me to be isolated Mm -hmm. and lonely. And it was just very, very challenging. And I got to a point where I just had to surrender. I am, I'm burnt out. I'm getting resentful and life just should not be that way. And just, I realized like the greatest factor missing was I didn't have people around me. And do you think there was anything in particular that helped you shift from the place of isolation to welcoming people in? Yes. <laughs> it was a very uh, humbling moment that I would like to say like, oh, I had this beautiful revelation and I was just learning to open myself up, but it wasn't. It was kind of an ugly, like I crashed and burned. No. <laughs> um, and it came at a time, and I think we all have those moments, yep. but it, you know, early on, it came at a time where I was just kind of going full speed all on my own, trying to handle all the things. Mm -hmm. And in that stage of mothering, when I have a newborn, and we're kind of still in the stage of trying to figure out how to get out of the house, and my husband's deployed. And we had just, you know, been in our current location, I don't even know for less than a year. And I just got super ill. Mm. Um, I was actually thinking about this the other day. There were actually two instances kind of back to back where I'd gotten super ill with my husband deployed and my baby at home with me. And I just had a stomach flu for 24 hours. And then he had gotten hand, foot, mouth, and I got it as an adult. And it's one of the worst experiences ever. And so my, my body was literally saying, you cannot do this alone. Yeah. And I was forced to to survive, yeah. <laughs> you know, to survive. I was forced to say to my neighbor, I need you. Like I need help. Um, and just, it was, it was humbling because I had realized I had let pride get in a way of a lot of that. Like, sure, there was my introverted nature and my independence, but a lot of the underlying issue was also pride. So I was very humbled to learn. I needed to reach out for help. 
and I need people because I cannot do this alone, nor am I expected to yeah. do this alone. Well, and I think too, it's it's really hard to go through those things where we run into our own limitations. And I've experienced that myself this past year of wanting to be able to, you know, proficiently, competently handle the things that are on my plate that are my responsibility, but recognizing that when we try to do it completely solo and don't allow anyone else to have a view into an invitation into our lives that it kind of sets us up for a crash and burn even worse than if we had kind of had people along for the journey as well. And so I would love to talk a little bit more about why it is so hard for women to ask for help. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about why that is. So I am a part um, of a monthly get together is actually through the if uh-huh. gathering. Um, it's, I don't know if you ever heard of the if table. And so we're doing a military if table where I'm located, located. And so I'm getting together with a group of about five or six other army wives. And we just tackled this question last week um, at our group. And there was a variety of answers, but I'll just share what, what mine is from my perspective as somebody who has been raised and just lives live through certain circumstances where I have this inner message that I need to be independent and do it mm-hmm. on my own. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I am being weak. Yeah. So it's, again, it goes back to the pride issue of I'm, I'm afraid to kind of reach out. I'm afraid to kind of ask for help because I want to be perceived as somebody who has got it together, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is such a disservice to me. And I know like, and I do think that's something that we struggle with as women that we feel for some reason, whether we want to bring social media into it, the way we're raised, culture, whatever, like we just feel like we have to have it all put together yeah. and to ask for help that shows, oh, maybe we don't, maybe it's some vulnerability, which I believe in. Vulnerability is powerful and we need to ask for help. But mm-hmm. for me, it's like realizing asking for help is not a sign of weakness, but it's that perception that, you know, I'm tempted to believe that it is. For sure. So I'm interested to know what you think might hinder women from asking for help. Yeah, well, it's right in the same avenue, I would say, as you're talking about. I just, I've come to realize that culturally speaking, that we equate independence with competence. Like if we can do things on our own, then that kind of shows that we're amazing or something. (laughs) And I think that it's kind of out of fear that if we let our weaknesses be seen and the cracks show in our lives, that that says something about our inability to measure up or to make a certain mark. And it's like we think that vulnerability is going to undercut, you know, how people think of us, but I've actually found the opposite to be true, that when we are vulnerable, especially with people who we've cultivated at least a marginal amount of trust with, that it actually brings us closer to them and mm-hmm. and strengthens us by virtue of the community that surrounds us. So I just think it's interesting to look at vulnerability as something you know, there are times to not be vulnerable with certain people for sure. But in general, you know, when you have built trusting relationships with people, I think believing that we can't or shouldn't be reaching out for support when we need it um, is one of the very things that keeps us from thriving and keeps us from being able to work through the difficult seasons we go through uh, with the support that 
would be offered if we would just let people in. Exactly. I think there's such, uh, just, you know, in building community in general, like there is such an inherent um, reward of stepping out and reaching out and seeking. If we could just take that one little step that we need some bravery for, yeah, there is some great reward. And, and that reminded me of one of the army wives I was talking with, she had mentioned that uh, her hindrance um, to asking for help is that she is afraid that she's going to ask somebody for help and they're going to say no to her yeah. and she's going to feel rejected. And we got into a really good discussion of how that makes sense. And we, we all struggle with rejection and belonging and we don't want to inconvenience anyone. But at the same time, I've learned also to not personalize a no. So if I reach out for help and somebody says, no, I can't help you with that. Yeah. That doesn't mean, like you said, that doesn't say anything about my inner worth. It doesn't mean that it's a personal rejection. It just might mean that person has very healthy boundaries around their schedule or their right. own abilities. And so I, I'm learning to accept when people can't say or can't help or when people say no, that, that that doesn't mean it's personal. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you and don't let it keep you from continuing to reach out because because it's so important for us. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's a super practical tip for women who are trying to figure out how to get over the hurdle of being willing to ask for help when they need it. Um, do you have any other practical tips about how to make asking for help something that doesn't feel like it's so hard or such a dramatic experience? I think for me, the way it feels um, less hard and less intimidating is um, just like in a super practical mom way. For instance, if, if my husband's deployed, if I'm solo parenting at home and I just need to go to the doctor's appointment without my kids in tow, mm -hmm. I can't find a babysitter, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the situation is, to reach out to a friend or an acquaintance even and say, hey, are you available at this day or time um, can my kids come over and play with your kids? I'll be happy to swap with you this week too, if you need an hour of time. And so um, that wasn't something I took advantage of earlier in my years of mothering, which I wish I had, but that swapping of childcare mm -hmm. is so practical. And that way, both you and your friend, who's also a mom, you know, you get your time that you need to do. Um, and it's been a beautiful thing. My other kind of tip that I go by, it's not necessarily, um, doesn't maybe make it less hard, but I just remind myself just to do it. Mm -hmm. Just send a text. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be a phone call. It doesn't have to be in person for me. Text feels a little bit safer. <laughs> um, but just, just send the text, just ask and be okay with the no. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you unexpectedly get a yes right away. And uh, exactly. I have a sweet friend who constantly <laughs> reminds me that people want to help. If they know what your need is, they yes. want to help. And it took me a long time to realize that, sh that that's really true. <laughs> I mean, I want to help if someone else brings a need to right. me. So I understand it from that side. But as someone asking for help, it wasn't until this year when I was in a place of desperate need for help, <laughs> which is probably the only thing right. that's helped me over that hurdle is um, that, you know, it's it's been very true. There are people who have shown up for my family in ways that I did not know were ever going to happen. And it's been extremely meaningful to see how invested they are in my well-being and um, how my kids are doing. And it's really been a sweet part of this year, even though it's been challenging in a lot of ways. And 
I would love to hear from you because I know you have moved many different times in your marriage uh, for military moves and whatnot. Um, how have you gone through those transitions with finding community or maybe experiencing seasons of not having as much just because you might have been in a place for such a little time? What has that looked like for you? I think in some ways, army life can give you a built-in community when mm-hmm. you move and um, you discover that while you might be far away from your physical family, your biological family, whoever family is to you, that you adopt these friendships who do truly mm-hmm. become like family. And the Army has a built-in family readiness group mm-hmm. uh, that will get you plugged in right away with other women. And so through volunteering in the FRG and taking a proactive role, it has been a great way for me to meet other women. And, you know, just like with any community that you um, are a part of, i not best friends with all of these yeah. women, um, but I do cultivate some good, true friendships that last throughout the years and last no matter how many moves we have. Mm-hmm. And I've also found that for me, um, getting connected with a local church and joining, whether it be a Bible study or a small group, um, finding that that community there that they're offering, again, that I just have to be proactive and take that step of, I, I want to be be in here. And so thankfully, the Army and the local church has provided ways for me to have community. But there have been times where it's been more challenging than others. And um, it's certainly, um, there's been seasons of some like loneliness that I've had to learn how to manage. Um, but at the end of the day, I've learned that some of my expectations with community over the years have has had to kind of alter and change and morph and transform into something a little bit more healthy. Because I, I used to kind of think, you know, once I realized I needed community, mm-hmm. it was almost like I went to an extreme of, I have to go find community. I have to get these best friends, these deep friendships and get them right away. And I had to realize that was an unrealistic expectation. Like I had to realize that there's this balance of there's going to be some times where you're really lonely and there's going to be some times where you have this great community, but then there's going to be this gray area in between where community is going to ebb and flow Mm -hmm. and it's going to take time to be cultivated and just really opening myself up to the unexpected opportunities in front of me um, has kind of been where I'm, I'm arriving now, where I, I've kind of let go of expectations and I'm just open and aware of the people in front of me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And I would love for you to share about the project that you've been working on this last year, your daily growth journal life worth living. I know that that's been a really exciting and personal creative endeavor for you. I'd love for you to share it with our community so they know what it's all about. Yeah. So um, my life worth living journal actually came out of many of these things that I just talked with you about, Mm -hmm. just some of the struggles through grief, um, through loneliness, through motherhood, um, through some of the overwhelming times. uh, And I've just learned over the years, um, just through my own experiences, through my spiritual walk, mm-hmm. um, through seeing some therapists over the years, that I didn't have to always feel like I was stuck and struggling because I just started to feel like that was my identity. And so um, I developed this journal practice that became really helpful to me just in my personal mm-hmm. life. And it was just so transformative that I just felt so compelled to create this and get it out into the hands of other women. And so it is a journal for women who can identify with that 
that feeling of struggling or stuck or just feeling like they're looking at their life and it's not maybe what, what they quite hoped for. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be the way that it's gone. They just feel very like weary, but they're just longing for something more. They're longing to love their life where they are, even if it's a mess, mm-hmm. they just want to find a way. And I think that's kind of all of us. And so my journal provides them an opportunity opportunity to do some kind of soul work to rediscover kind of who they are, develop some kind of healthy thought patterns, healthy practices, mm-hmm. and just gives them a way to show up daily, um, tracking the different things that might be affecting their mood that day or their thoughts that day, letting them have a safe space to just talk about our struggles. Because like you mentioned before, there's certain people who we get to be really vulnerable with. Yeah. And there's certain people who don't get that access to us. But no matter what, to get those things outside of ourselves is so important. And so just to do that in a journal form is helpful. And then there's space to also just notice, you know, what are what are the things that are going well? Like, what are the things that you're trying? Like, give yourself credit for what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Um, and if something's not working for you, what could we do about it? Because for me, I just became really passive. And like I was mentioning, like, I had to learn to be proactive. Like, I had to make that step to go to that church group, or I had to take that step to text that friend. And so it's learning how to be proactive in your life. And then it just kind of each day ends by focusing on what good you can see. Because I am a firm believer that no matter how dark Mm -hmm. or in despair you feel in your day, you can pull out five good things. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe in the practice of just renewing your your mind of yeah there's struggles mm-hmm. but there's some really good things that we can be thankful for too and so um i'm so thankful that women are using it and i'm getting really good feedback for it and i'm excited too because um, my boys have seen me journal over the years and they've seen me create this and and they've wanted their own and so that's inspired me to create a kids journal which i am going to be releasing this fall too that i'm really excited about oh so awesome well i'm excited for you and so grateful for the resource that you have created and shared with others Um, and we are going to be giving away a copy of your journal on our kindred mom instagram account this month so i hope people will check that out and if you don't win if you'll go and pick up a copy for yourself that'd be amazing and Kristen, i just so appreciate you sharing your thoughts about this um Thank you for just the practical helps you've given as far as getting us over the hurdle of asking for help, as well as just being forthcoming about the challenge of developing community in new places. Um, I so appreciate you sharing. Well, thank you so much. 